The March to Zion broadcast is a weekly radio production of Bethlehem Primitive Baptist Church. The broadcast is under the direction of Elder Tim McCool, pastor. For more information, contact 205-364-1396 or write the March to Zion broadcast, P.O. Box 270, Carrollton, Alabama, 35447. Stay tuned for a message of God's sovereign grace. This is Tim McCool, pastor of Bethlehem Primitive Baptist Church and director of the March Design Broadcast. Please stay tuned for a message of salvation by grace. It's my great blessing to be able to speak to you here on the radio. We want to thank the radio stations that allow us to continue to broadcast. We welcome you this morning and pray that the Lord would bless our time together. If you're a first-time listener, then we hope that you'll feel burdened to come back and join us each week at this same time. And if you're a returning listener, then we thank you for your ongoing prayers and support. We invite you to come and worship with us at Bethlehem Primitive Baptist Church, located just off of Highway 82 on the Boyd Road near Acola. We worship each Sunday morning at 1030 and on the second and fourth Wednesday nights at 6 o'clock. So come and worship with us if you can. 
Also, our website is BethlehemPBC.org. That's BethlehemPBC.org. I would love to hear from you if you have any questions or comments. You can reach me easily at my email address. That's Tim at T-I-M-M-C-C-O-O-L-L-A-W dot com. That's Tim at T-I-M-M-C-C-O-O-L-L-A-W dot com. Following this song will bring to you a message from the Word of God. Oh,
today I want to bring to you what I would call the concluding message of the basics. And we use again as our text the basics that are listed in Romans the 8th chapter. If you'll recall over the last few weeks we've been speaking about the pattern by which the Apostle Paul taught the people that he taught, which is clearly laid down in Acts the 20th chapter. He says that he kept back nothing that was profitable for them. It says that he taught them all the counsel of God. In other words, the Apostle Paul, his pattern was to not leave anything out. And we don't have to worry or wonder what those things were that he taught them, that he said, I didn't leave anything out for you. I kept back nothing that was profitable. In other words, I gave you everything that you needed to know. So we don't have to worry about how he taught them, and we don't have to worry about what he taught them. It's clearly laid down in the Scripture, Romans the 8th chapter and the 28th verse. The Apostle Paul gives us a little composite listing of the basics. And he says, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose, for whom he did foreknow. He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called, and whom he called, and them he also justified, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. What shall we then say to these things? What do you say to these things, child of God? Sadly, there's many children of God that have never heard about these things, and these are the basics. These are the things that the Apostle Paul refers to in Romans 8 and 28, that God is working together for the good of his people. And we've previously talked about those things that are clearly spelled out. The first thing that we covered was the fact of why God has to foreknow, predestinate, call, justify, and glorify. And the reason he has to is because of the sin of Adam. We've already covered that in depth. In Adam's fall, we sinned all. There's no one that would come to God, no one that would approach God, no one that would pray to God, no one that would do anything towards God unless God does something first. That's why John said we love him because he first loved us. God had to make the first move because of the condition of man, the depravity of man, the wickedness of man through Adam's sin, all of Adam's posterity. We are the descendants of Adam, took on his nature So God has to change our nature. And these five things, these basics that are listed here, this is how he does it. It says that he foreknew us. He placed a special love upon an untold number of people. God knows their number, but we can't tell them because they are as numerous as the stars of the sky, as the sands of the sea. It's not just a few chosen people. It's a multitude of chosen people that no man can number except God himself. And he set their destination. He predestinated them. They're going to be conformed to his image. They are going to enjoy, according to Ephesians 1, the inheritance. They're going to be adopted, according to Ephesians 1. So you see, these things are the basics. This is what Paul taught them in his first sermons and reiterated to them when he wrote back to them many years later in Romans and Ephesians and in other places. And then we covered the fact that the child of God, one of the basics is they must be called. They must be born again. And that's like the moving of the wind where the wind is sovereign and goes where it pleases, blows where it pleases, and and blows when it pleases. That's how we're born again. It's not when we choose. It's not when we accept. It's not when we open the door of our heart. It's not when we do something, but it's when God moves. Just ask the Apostle Paul when you get to heaven. Just ask John the Baptist who was born again in his mother's womb. Just ask David who was a toddler when he was born again in Jeremiah. Just ask the thief on the cross who was cursing Jesus and reviling him one moment and then blessing his holy name the next because the sovereign act of God 
worked on his heart. The Spirit of God went into his heart and gave him life, just like it does you, just like it does me. When God chooses, and you may say, well, how do we deserve that? We don't. That's the beauty of it. That's grace, and that's mercy. And those that were called, those that are called, born again in this lifetime, they had to have their sins cleansed away. And they have to be able to appear before the Lord in heaven just as if they had never sinned. And that is justified, just as if I had never sinned. And that is because of the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ. When he was on the cross and he cried out, it is finished, he had filled up the measure of the wrath of his father towards our sins. Jesus satisfied God because he was the perfect lamb of God. That's how we are justified. And today... The last basic that we want to cover is what he says here. He says, whom he justified, them he also glorified. And then he says, what shall we say to these things? Child of God, what do you say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? That's what the Apostle Paul said to these things. That's what we all, as children of God, touched by the Spirit, should say to these things. Not, well, I've never heard that. Or, I don't understand that. Nobody's ever preached that to me. If you've never heard a sermon on Romans 8, 29, 30, and 31, or Ephesians, the first chapter, you need to go and ask your preacher why. Because it's the basics. It's what's required, just like reading, writing, and arithmetic is required for a person to go through K through 12 and ultimately graduate. As I've said before, it would be like a senior in high school asking a senior that's about to graduate, what do you think about that math that you took? And they looked at you and said, math? I've never heard of math. I don't even know what that is. You see, these are the basics. If you look at someone and say, predestination, I I don't even know what that is. Or foreknowing, I've never heard that. You see, that's like a senior in high school saying, I don't know how to write. I don't know how to read. I don't never heard of math. Oh, child of God, these are so rich and so simple, and they give God all the glory. That's the key right there. That's the linchpin to understanding these things. It puts man out of the picture who wants glory. Man wants to be responsible for his own salvation. He wants to be able to say, I accepted, I let him in, I did this, I prayed that, I was baptized, I did this. That's what man wants in his nature. But I want you to know that is not what the Scripture teaches, and that's not what the Spirit writes in our heart. The Spirit writes in our heart, we can't do it. So Christ did it for us. The Father did it for us. The Spirit does it for us. And consider with me now, This most glorious last subject, this last basic here of glorified. Listen, this is a direct reference to the resurrection at the end of time. And there's only one way that that resurrection is going to occur, and that is through the work, the power, the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Look at John 5 and 28. This is what he says himself about this resurrection. He says, marvel not at this. For the hour is coming in the which all that are in the grave shall hear his voice and shall come forth. Is there any possibility that's not happening? (laughs) They that have done good under the resurrection of life and they that have done evil under the resurrection of damnation. Listen very carefully. There's going to be a general resurrection one day. And in that general resurrection, the wicked are going to come forth and receive what they are due because of their own works. And the righteous are going to come forth and receive what they are due, not because of their own works, but because of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Father and the Spirit. You've heard people maybe say before, well, 
I'm just hoping I can get to heaven and my good works will outweigh my bad works. Let me tell you something. You don't want to be judged by your works, good or bad, because the works of the wicked are written down in a bunch of books over there in the book of Revelation. It says that at the end of time, I believe it's around Revelation 20, he says at the end of time that the wicked are going to be judged out of the book of their works, the books of their works, and there are many and they are bad. And you say, well, wait a minute, though, I want to be judged by my good works. Well, Isaiah said that all of our good works, all of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. Even our righteousnesses, even the good works that we've done are filthy rags before the Lord when compared to the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. You don't want to be judged on your good works or on your bad works for sure. The wicked are going to be judged on their bad works. And you don't even want to be judged on your good works. And by the way, any good works that you've ever done in this life, it's only because God put within you his goodness. That's the only way those works can ever be good. But when it comes to our judgment, when it comes to the end of time, to being glorified in the presence of the Lord and entering into that inheritance and being conformed to the image of Christ, it's not going to be based on our good works, which he describes as filthy rags, and it's not going to be based on on our bad works, thank goodness, which will only condemn us, it's going to be based on the work of the Lord Jesus Christ alone. And in that general resurrection, he's going to call forth all. He's going to call forth the good that have been touched by the grace of God, changed by his grace, and we're going to be with the Lord forever. And the wicked, they're going to be judged out of their own works. Oh, we don't want to be judged by our works, that's for sure. Now, Jesus reiterates this. There in John 5, he says, this is no marvel. There's no marvel that an hour's coming when I'm going to call forth the righteous and the wicked. He said, don't marvel at that. And then in John 6, that great chapter on the bread of life, listen to what he says. Listen to the reiteration of this phrase. He says in verse 37, and this goes right along with the basics. If you want to know chapters for the basics, to understand the basics, here it is, John 6, Romans 8, Ephesians 1. These are the basics that are listed And Jesus says, verse 37, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. For I came down from heaven, not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which hath sent me, that of all which he hath given me I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. Now let's continue. And this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. He goes on in verse 44. He tells them not to murmur among themselves. He says, no man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. Are you noticing a pattern here? He goes on into verse 54 and he says this, whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life. He doesn't say you will get it. He says you already have it and I will raise him up at the last day. Is there any doubt that the child of God will be raised up at the last day? You see, that's what it means to be glorified one day. You turn a few pages over to John, the 11th chapter. Here's a young lady that sometimes we give her a hard time, but she got what Jesus was saying. She was there listening. Yeah, she was busy sometimes preparing food and being a domestic. She was very good at that. This is Martha that we're talking about. We sometimes give her a hard time, and she needs to be given a hard time when it comes to being overly burdened with some of the things she was doing at times. But she was also listening to Jesus And she says in John, the 11th chapter, 
She's a little bit peeved at Jesus for waiting four days to come to their aid because it was only a couple miles away. It was only a you know just an hour or so's walk to get over. It was only an hour or so walk to get over to where they were to heal Lazarus. So Martha's a little bit disturbed. Listen to what happens. When Martha comes to Jesus, she says, Lord, if thou hast been here, my brother had not died. John 11 and 22. But I know that even now, whatsoever thou wilt ask of God, God will give it thee. And Jesus said unto her, thy brother shall rise again. Oh, listen, child of God, the best news that you can get when you lose someone or when you think about losing your own life is this right here. You will rise again, not because Brother Tim said it, because Jesus Christ said it, and Jesus Christ has risen himself. And Martha said unto him, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. You think Martha was listening? Jesus said again and again, I will raise him up at the last day. I will raise him up at the last day. And Martha said, I know he's going to raise up at the last day. I heard you say that. And Jesus looks her in the eye. And he says, I am the resurrection. How about that? That's something, isn't it? The security of our glorification one day, the security of our resurrection one day is based on the fact that Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? And she said unto him, Yea, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. You see what Martha believes there? She says, I know that you can ask of God and God will give you anything. Martha says, I know that my brother Lazarus will rise again at the last day in the resurrection. I know that you're the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. And yet Jesus tells her, I am the resurrection. See, he was fixing to prove to her that he was this present, living, breathing power and son of God that had the power to resurrect. And you know what he does? He goes to the grave and he calls Lazarus, who's dead and probably stinking by now, according to Martha, calls him out of that grave and he is physically resurrected. That was a demonstration of the power of God, of the power of his resurrection, of the fact that Jesus is the resurrection. And I want to tell you again that the best news that you can get whenever a loved one passes from this life is that you're going to see them again. That is the best news. Oh, it's not good news to think, well, I need to figure out how this tragedy occurred or God has some kind of something he's doing in this tragedy. I can't quite see it. No, the best thing you can know is you're going to see him again. I've shared this before, I think, but when I was 12 years old, my best friend, 13-year-old Jerry Guin, was shot and killed in a shooting accident with a shotgun. He was not holding it. Somebody else shot him. That was horrible for a 12-year-old. I went through some difficult times emotionally processing that loss, but bless my parents' heart, what got me through that was them telling me again and again and again, we're going to see him again. We're going to see him again. And I didn't fully understand exactly how that was going to take place as a 12-year-old, although I understood there was a resurrection. I understood that Jesus had been resurrected. But I want you to know that sounded good to me. Now, granted, I wanted to see him right away, but I understood what they were saying. And here I am at 46 years old, these many, many years later, and I still believe that. I don't have the emotional upheaval that I had at that time. I still miss him. I still weep from time to time thinking about that great young man that he was and that he would have grown up to be and how he's taken away from us in an untimely manner. But I've still got that hope within me, that hope that my parents told me about, that hope that the preachers preached about. And the best thing that you can know when you lose that loved one 
is not try to figure out how this tragedy occurred or try to work through the maze of facts and things that you see. Maybe you'll figure something out. No, just look away from the maze of facts and look away from the tragedy and do what God intended for us to do. Look to one of these basics right here that we have a resurrection coming one day where he'll call them out of the graves and we'll be reunited again. That's the best news that you can have when you're away from someone. When I was in Africa several years ago, I've been there several times, but one of the times in particular I remember when I first went, I was so heartbroken, so lonely over there, even though I was with friends and loved ones. I missed my wife. I missed my children. I was just a weeping person. I just was very torn up. I'd never been that far away from home, and I hadn't been away from them like that. And you know what got me through that? You guessed it. I'm going to see him again. I can't wait to see him. I'm counting down the days. I'm counting down the hours. I'm counting down the minutes. I know when the plane flight's coming. I know how long it'll take me to get home from the airport. That's what got me through was seeing them again. And for the child of God who's lost loved ones in this life or fears death, what gets us through is knowing that we're going to see those loved ones again. It got Martha through. And then Jesus goes on and he resurrects Lazarus. Isn't that amazing? 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter as we conclude our thoughts on these basics. It's the chapter about the resurrection. And he says from 1 Corinthians 15 and 22, For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. That goes right along with John 5 and 28. But every man in his own order. Christ is the first fruits. You see, Christ is the security that we will be resurrected one day. And afterward, they that are Christ, it is coming. Then come at the end, when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and all authority and all power, for he must reign till he hath put all enemies under his feet. Oh, child of God, don't let anybody tell you that Jesus isn't reigning today. He's reigning over his kingdom today. We are clear in that from the scripture. He has a kingdom now. Part of that visible kingdom is his church. But he's reigning today. It says this. He must reign till he hath put all enemies under his feet. And the last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. How about that? When he comes back, death will be vanquished forever. He vanquished death when he was resurrected. But for all of time and all of eternity, it will be vanquished forever. And it says, what does it mean when we'll be resurrected? He says, so is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption. This is verse 42. It's raised in incorruption. We're corruption right now, but in the resurrection, we'll be incorruptible. Right now, we are sown in dishonor. Verse 43, but we raised in glory. Right now, we have weakness, but it will be raised in power. Right now, we have a natural body, but we'll be raised a spiritual body. You see, that's what the resurrection is for the child of God. And notice what he says, verse 51 Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. That's being conformed to the image of Christ. We're predestinated to be conformed to that image and to inherit that inheritance and become adopted. Finally, this is where God picks us up. This is where he goes to the adoption agency and picks us up and brings us home. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption at the resurrection, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written in the Old Testament, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. Sin will be vanquished, and thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, abounding to the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Oh, may we rejoice in this basic. We'll be glorified one day. 
because of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. There'll be no more pain, no more sorrow, no more suffering. Just rejoicing in his presence forever because he has foreknown. He has predestinated. He has born us again or called us. He has justified us on the cross. And he will speak one glorious day and glorify us in the resurrection. May the Lord bless you is my prayer. been listening to the march to zion broadcast for more information contact 205-364-1396 or write to the march to zion broadcast p.o box 270 Carrollton, alabama 35447 bethlehem primitive baptist church is located seven miles east of gordo and 10 miles west of northport just off highway 82 on the boyd road near ecola services are each sunday at 10 30 a.m and the second and fourth Wednesday night at 6.30 p.m. Please join us next week for another message of God's sovereign grace. Love you.